yeah, hello. Welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. I'm in, I'm in awe. My whole jaw dropped to that. That was cool. That was a confrontational, edgy, <laughs> kind of early thousands Yeah, intro. man. Trying something new out here for this very special bonus episode. All about yeah. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. A game I finished last night. It was funny. I had a friend over who hasn't seen the PS5 at all. I gave him a similar experience that I had when I visited you. Yeah. Where I sat him down and I made him play Astro's Playroom. (laughs) Uh, And he was like in awe of it. And then I was like, okay, I know we're hanging out, but do you mind if I just... I I was up to the last level because it was like... Yeah. It's one of those games where they're like, are you sure? It's the last level. You can't get any more collectibles after you say hello to Quark. Um... (laughs) So I was like, do you just want to see the finale of this game? And he was like, honestly, I'd love to see it. I want to see it. Let's let's experience the finale together. Bobby, uh, thank you for joining me for that. And he was like just in awe of the game. I mean, similar to how we described it in our in our episode about like our first experiences. Like it really yeah. is. This is like kind of not it's beyond a cold take at this point. But like <laughs> this is the game that showcases like what next gen could be in terms of like, yeah. The graphics and and the uh, just everything about it is like stunning. So it was so fun to show him that. But honestly, I think the reason, like even just seeing the finale, not knowing what the story really was or who the characters were, he was so immediately gripped. Um, the mm-hmm. finale. We'll get to the finale. The finale is incredible. Yeah, the whole game is incredible. But like, I think what makes this game so great as we said in our episode about it is like, it's just a really incredible story. Um, so well told it's a really like joyful experience and it, it's so perfectly paced. I yeah. just had like, this will be weirdly a difficult bonus to make. Cause I feel like it's one of those things that's just so solid that like, it's hard to even talk about it. Cause I'm like, I liked it. It was fun. Yeah. You and I have been joking that we were just going to like, start recording and say this game's good all right talk to you next (laughs) month honestly after the amount of hours of content we just released it would probably be a welcome addition (laughs) Uh, yeah but there's way more to say obviously but i just i wanted to bring that up because i think it's a testament to the game's storytelling and presentation that like someone could just walk in and watch the ending and be like fully gripped and like cheering like we were both like yelling and cheering (laughs) In the final scenes, so nice. uh, yeah. really, really great. I, I mean, just like top level thoughts and comments. I had just the best time playing this game. It was, it was such a great and like really needed experience for me. I tend to really like this approach of storytelling. I guess you can compare it to like you know the, the obvious comparison is like Pixar or you know the best DreamWorks and choose your like kind of American animated film. I think though what a lot of those movies share in common, like obviously it's hard to lump them all together because there's so many people Mm -hmm. involved in all those productions. But I think because all those companies and teams tend to make films for a general audience, they weirdly have to operate in parameters. Ideally, you know, I think the best Pixar and the best animated movies in general that are maybe marketed towards kids aren't afraid to tackle heavier ideas, but have to do so in a way that isn't alienating to a younger audience. Yeah. 
And I just think it's really impressive to pull that off. You know, I think when when a good script can do that, you know, there there's a tendency, especially in like thousands, nineties animated film, there will be like double entendres that are like for the adults in the audience. It just feels like out of place and weird. Yeah, like that's not the way to do it. It's not like right. yeah, don't don't make a lewd joke like <laughs> as your appeal to the adults in the room. Which ironically is like half the titles of the Ratchet and Clank series. Yeah. Which is like out of place, kind of. Yeah, in, Insomniac, looking back, I mean, there, there are a bunch of quotes from a bunch of different people who, who work at Insomniac who are like, we like really want to put that whole experience behind us, like that whole like, vibe <laughs> for this franchise. Like, Ratchet and Clank is something so different than that now. Which, yeah. you know, to their credit, I, I, I think they've like firmly kind of positioned this franchise outside of what that used to be. Um, yeah. But it, it, it almost feels a little bit uh, like the God of War reboot where like or or like maybe they could have done that at least where like God of War was a little bit in conversation with itself. You know, like the, the reboot of that franchise was all about like atoning for the sins of the past franchise. But, you know, that'd be that'd be weirdly out of place in, in Ratchet and Clank. But yeah, I, 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 I agree. I'm glad that they're past the up your arsenal era of Ratchet and Clank <laughs> going commando, et cetera, right. et cetera. Outside of the titles, was that kind of humor like in the games, too, or was it really just like the titles? Yes and no. It, like not yeah. not as much as you would expect given the title. It was there, yeah. but like the title was where it was most evident, you know? Gotcha. Because I just feel like the, you know, Rift Apart being my first Ratchet and Clank game, the immediate impression of the characters and everything is like really genuine. You know, like mm-hmm. they're they're all incredibly goofy, but I think this script really balances both tackling these kind of heavier themes with like enough levity to not be too intense for for audiences but also not watering down what they're tackling and i also just think you know in this sort of approach to storytelling uh similar to like my favorite pixar movies you can kind of you can kind of guess what the beats are going to be but they're done so well that you look forward to them and there's always a little bit of a surprise that like it keeps it interesting yeah you know like i think one of the big things which we'll get into later i imagine is like the whole premise of the plot is that they're in another dimension where nefarious always wins and everyone has a dimensional opposite or a dimensional, you know, reflection of some kind. Yeah. And nefarious pretty much quickly just takes up the mantle of like, I'm the emperor now without even thinking that there could be another nefarious in this dimension. Who's like actually a villain. Yeah. That kind of stuff is like, okay, they're planting these seeds of intrigue that have such great payoffs later. Yeah. And uh, man, I mean, there are specifically a lot of scenes that I think I'd love to explore with you in this bonus, but I'd I'd also just love to hear like what you thought of it as a longtime fan of the series. Yeah, I'm thinking about this uh, strangely in the same realm as our 13 Sentinels bonus, where like when you and I were covering 13 Sentinels, it was more of like a plea for more people to play it because there's like some really interesting stuff going on there. Um, and it and it was it's always going to be there in our feed for people who like finally get around to playing 13 Sentinels and like get to experience it. But the beginning yeah. of that episode is mostly just you and I talking about what we like about it without getting into the wild story of that game. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what I want to do here as well is like, the, yeah, yeah, for now, the PlayStation 5 is like largely unavailable 
available to most people. Even I, I'm going to be honest, like I, I really, really love finding things that people tell me are unattainable and like f- just getting them. Uh, I, I won't I won't get into like myriad examples, but this is just like a strange trend in my life. Is that like if a friend wants like a specific, I don't know, like a version of AirPods or something like I, I'm the person that they come to to like find that thing because I just have a weird like knack for it. Um, and I'm having a hard time finding PlayStation 5s for my friends. Like I am having a hard time doing it. And that's usually not the case for me. So if I'm having a hard time, people who don't have a skill set like that are having an even harder time. The PlayStation 5 is a long way out from being like a device that a lot of people own. And because of that, I think it's worth at least acknowledging at the top of this episode, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart is a video game that a lot of people will not get to play for a very long time, if I were to guess. Yeah. Y- you and I are in like just very like almost privileged positions by having PlayStation 5s being able to play this game, which is like silly to say about a video game, but that's where we're at. That said, I do want to just mention like for those of you who are like waiting in the wings who want to play this game, like it lives up to all of your expectations. Everything you've heard about it, all of the praise, it's all true. Yeah. Uh, and then so it's like actually even hard to describe how good it is. Insomniac, obviously very good at their jobs. They have been for a very long time. I think recently, though, with their uh, their work on Spider-Man and, and the Miles Morales uh, like spinoff, um, like they have like a, just reached a new level for themselves. You know, like I totally they, agree. Yeah. The games that they're putting out are like so far and beyond the stuff that they were putting out. I actually went and re-downloaded the original Ratchet and Clank remake that they did on the PlayStation 4 to just like play it a little bit just to like compare the two. Um, and even compared to that, I mean, this this is on a completely different level. So I guess just overall as a longtime fan of Ratchet and Clank, first of all, I'm glad that it still exists because, you know, you look at like Naughty Dog with Jack and Daxter uh, and Sucker Punch with Sly Cooper and like all these games that I really loved in the PS2 era. I, I didn't, we talked about this a little bit. I didn't get super far into it, but like that was my era for these kinds of platformers like you know i think some people had the super nintendo era and even i as a person who owned the dreamcast like didn't really get into not the dreamcast the genesis didn't really get into that stuff on the genesis for the most part my experience with platformers was with the playstation 2 and it was jack and daxter and ratchet and clank um and you know eventually picking up like spyro and crash bandicoot uh because the ps2 was backwards compatible all of those games are like the ones that kind of shaped my love of this as a as a genre but Ratchet and Clank was always my favorite outside of Sly Cooper one. Sorry, I just had to say Sly Cooper one is a perfect video game. <laughs> Maybe it hasn't aged too well, but like, God damn, that game is good. I just also sucker for heists. So, you know, I, I was always going to be in a place where I, I love that game. Um, anyway, Insomniac is the only company still making their version of what they were doing in the PS2. And what's wild is that they have just learned more and more and more about how to make that kind of game since then. And from what I understand of the PS3 era, which I didn't really take part in for Ratchet and Clank, you know, peaks and valleys in there. Uh, There's actually one, I don't know what it's called. I'm blanking on the name, but there's one in that era that people say like is maybe the best Ratchet and Clank game, just like as a Ratchet and Clank game. I would argue that this is just the best game. Again, I haven't played the PS3 one, so I don't know. But uh, it's just nice that they're still making this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and returning to it just like kind of felt like, I don't know, like taking a nice hot shower, you know, which is like, ah, th- this is so refreshing to have this kind of experience, especially when you compare it to the rest of the like Sony PlayStation first party, like PlayStation Studios catalog 
which is stuff like the God of War reboot and Ghost of Tsushima and and fucking Death Stranding and you know like just this like kind of grittier stuff. You know, Spider-Man is definitely a, a deviation from that, but like even that is interested in realism in a way that like Ratchet and Clank is not at all, you know. Yeah. This game is so comfortable just being like a big goofy experience and largely nails it the whole time and it's it's just really refreshing to have that kind of experience and have sony say like yeah this is the kind of stuff we want on here too like it's not just going to be over the shoulder third person like narrative last of us part two shit you know um again (laughs) love those games but it's nice to have something different yeah exactly especially like I, I completely agree. I mean, it's interesting to look at that era of, of Sony because I feel like there was a long time on the PS1, too, where they were really trying to, like, match Nintendo's energy. Everyone wants to make a Mario. Yeah. And now when you said all those names out loud, I'm like, that now they're trying to do the Banjo-Kazooie. There was, like, the, the duo uh, platformer mm-hmm. trend. But, uh, yeah, I agree. And, I mean, I think Insomniac clearly, like, the storytelling on display in Marvel Spider-Man and Miles Morales is like, I think they've, they nailed traversal a while ago. Yeah. I feel like, you know, with, with Spider-Man, they nailed the mechanics and, you know, obviously like the thing everyone asks like, is swinging around the city fun. And it's like, the answer is yes. <laughs> but I think the reason why that game was so beloved was like, they really told a great Spider-Man story. I think they, they've kind of grown as, you know, I think like in the Sony IP, there are other teams that get a lot more credit for their narratives, you know, like Naughty Dog with Last of Us and everything. But again, I think like it's weirdly almost harder to tell a compelling story in like an IP like Spider-Man where it's like, how do you tell an interesting story mm-hmm. for a hero that has been written like thousands of times over? Yeah. And, and with Ratchet and Clank, it's like you're taking this series that like could be kind of like a nostalgia cash grab thing. Yeah. Um, but it, oh, I mean, the, the sort of wink at a God of War reexamination is the very beginning when Ratchet's like, oh my God, are we has-beens? Like, yeah. we even saved the galaxy in like years. Yeah. I, I, I love that. But that's really like where it stops. Because I think there's so much confidence in the game, in the way they just deliver the characters. It's not like, I didn't have any prior knowledge of like who they were. And a lot of the game is like meeting the sort of dimensional doppelgangers of characters you already know. Mm-hmm. But even going into it largely blind to like the prior stories, like I still was so gripped by them. And like, I kind of knew, you know, it, they weren't um, just winking at the camera for like, oh, you know this because it's an old thing that was in a game you played as a kid. Like they're just like embracing all of it. Yeah. The the more we talk about this, like goof about it reexamining itself in in the style of God of War, like maybe that is really what's happening here, because even I mean, we, we don't have to get too into it until we get into like the story stuff. But even the stuff about, you know, Ratchet being given the opportunity to go to another dimension and meet the Lombaxes, which is a thing he's been attempting to do since literally the first game on the PS2. Um, And then when presented with that option is like, you know, a little shaky about it. Weirdly enough, that does come as like just another beat in his long arc from that first game where like the first game, he was like a Lombax on a planet who was like kind of laughed at. He was just like a mechanic on the planet who was like very good at fixing ships. And that was kind of it. But he was like a nobody, like really a nobody. And then met Clank and like, you know, just kind of set off in this whole thing where it's like Clank was a war bot that was like rejected by a whole thing. I'm not going to get into the story, but like, you know, he, he started off as a nobody and through meeting Clank became somebody interesting. And then throughout the next sequels, like slowly became more notorious in the galaxy, like became a hero in a way. 
uh, was more and more well known and like now has kind of like landed with Rift Apart where he's like, not only are we has-beens, but like the things that I thought I wanted, I'm not even sure I want anymore. Like I have no idea who I am. And honestly, this game makes a really great case for like whoever Ratchet is by the end of it is who he should be forever, I think. I mean, that kind of seems like what his arc is about in the story, which is cool. Um, I also think in terms of examination, like that really is like by default, you know, every character when they meet their They're dimensional devil, yeah. opposite, like they inherit, they have to ask themselves questions about like, what could have been, what should I be doing? Yeah. You know, I mean, every, every character in this game is so well thought and like has their big moment. And like, uh, it's just, it's just great. Again, like, I think that there's something so deceivingly simple about the script that like really impressed me. And I mean, you know, the, the voice cast does an incredible job. Like there's yeah. so much fun. It just felt like we said this a lot, but it felt like everyone who worked on this had a good time. You know, like there's so much confidence in the work. And I I looked at the time it took me to finish the game and I did like a good amount of optional stuff. And I think it was like 11 hours. So like, I I just love that length for a game like this where like you're in, you're out and you immediately want to play it again. Like I'm going to platinum this game. And I yeah. had a great time doing it. When we recorded that first bit, I was at like 60 something percent in like a couple days. And at this point, I have now 100 percented that save file. And I've started a new game plus where I'm like 30 or 40 percent of the way in. So like I'm in it, man. Like I'm like really <laughs> in it. And I'm way more in it than I ever have been with these games. I think like the second one and the third one I got really into in this way. But but this one is on a completely different level. Like this one I really want to see and do like everything that is available to me. It's also worth mentioning um two things. Number one, exactly what you're saying, like right before the end encounter, there's a little pop-up that shows up that's like, "Hey, are you sure you want to do this? You know, y- y- you can go out and collect everything and come back or you can just go do it." If you go do the end thing, what happens is your save file will retain all the progress you've made during that last encounter but then set you back right before you start it so you can still go collect everything but like say you like level up a weapon or something during the final boss like your your weapon will still be leveled up when you load that save which is cool also when you finally you know beat the story uh you can launch into new game plus which just carries over all of your progress all the collectibles you found all your weapon levels everything into a new game plus mode where you start with everything that you've unlocked already my recommendation if you're playing is get get 100 on your save file before you start new game plus there are just some things that i don't want to give away in this segment um that are really 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 worth having in new game plus especially if you're increasing the difficulty which i would recommend doing so on that note i I just think like mechanically some of the old standbys of ratchet and clank are like still around we we mentioned a little bit but like leveling up all your weapons to level five like turns them into kind of new versions of that weapon uh when you go into new game plus you can then level them up from five to ten and when they hit ten they kind of evolve again oh Um, that's so cool they're like omega versions of those weapons and like that stuff is awesome the like more secret weapons are incredible uh, I, I will definitely spoil one of them in uh, the next segment because I, I, you can't not talk about it. But just like all in all, the collectibles thing, I mean, it's there and it still works. And it's interesting that it's interesting that so many developers try and do this kind of game and like why it works sometimes and doesn't work in other times. I think a large reason why it works so well in Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart specifically is that like the game is pretty short. I don't I don't know how long it is. Was it like? 12 hours maybe it was less for me i, I beat it in 11 and yeah. I, had, I had done the like i think if you just stuck to the critical path you could probably do it in eight like if you just like yeah. mainline maybe it. even less honestly yeah yeah um i i just think it like there's no 
point in the game that overstays its welcome. It kind of has that like Mario DNA of like introducing you to a thing, letting you play with it and just to the point before you start to question if you need to keep using it and then they drop it and move on to the next thing. Um, That's kind of how it works with these planets outside of you staying on those planets on your own volition to continue collecting the things there. Uh, like one of the earliest ones are, are these things that you have to collect called Zerp stones, which are like, right. like a glowing purple fruit that you give to a dragon. It's a whole thing. We'll talk about it later. Um, but like <laughs> that is like one of the longest collectible grinds in the game. Um, and even that doesn't take that long. I mean, even like collecting all the Zerp stones maybe takes like 20 to 30 minutes total. Once you start, if you like really sat down and just did it, it would take like 20, 30 minutes and like is fun most of the time, you know, like every single variant of that, whether it's the gold bolts, the spy bots, uh, going and finding like the, the Lombax lore, which we can talk about, like all that stuff is so enjoyable and feels varied enough. I don't know. It's just good. I think I think that's a big point. And I was thinking about that because I think you're right that like what games do I want to do everything in and what games do I like feel over encumbered by yeah. that? I think a big part of it, especially, you know, for like collectibles and finding stuff is like is is moving around fun, which sounds mm-hmm. silly. But it's like when I think about what games that I do this in, honestly, Spider-Man was one. I found all the backpacks. Yeah. Like same. first. So if the traversal is is fun to do, if it's fun to like move around and the environments are interesting, I'll like do that. And I think, like you said, the pacing of even the optional stuff is very quick. Like every every level too is also focused almost on a different genre of game. So that variety that you also mentioned is there. So it doesn't feel like I'm just rinse, washing, repeat the same side quest that you kind of feel in a game like Ghost of Tsushima, where like as much as I loved doing the checklist stuff, eventually I'm like, okay, another fox den, another yeah. place to, right, to right. clear out. And this, it's like collecting the Zerb stones, very different from like doing the shrines with Clank from doing like the treasure hunt with the pirates. Like mm-hmm. they all kind of like dip their foot in a different genre almost. So, you know, all of that ends up feeling really fun. Not to mention like I would easily love a like Captain, uh, what was the uh, Toad game? Captain Toad. Yeah. Captain. <laughs> Captain, oh, what was his name? What was the Toad game? <laughs> anyway, I would play a glitch game is what I'm implying. Like the, the oh, mini yeah. games where you play as glitch, the little spider who fights viruses. Like that alone was like, you know, arcadey like shooter where you're like climbing walls and changing perspective. Like yeah. that could be its own game, you yeah. know? And like that was just a, That's another That's kind of how I feel about most of it. it. Like any planet's right, right. mechanics that they introduce just for that planet, like really could be their own standalone thing. It's really cool cool how much they're experimenting here and that honestly that's just like part of the dna of the series i found is like every ratchet and clank game kind of provides that experience um i just think this one is like as tight as you can get it for a company that has been making games like this for so long it really makes me wonder like how long until we're gonna get it okay because you can't stop it here especially the way the game ends like really kind of opens it up to continue going at least on the ps5 And it really makes me wonder how long it's going to be until we get a sequel to this. It's got to be like, I don't know, towards the end of the PS5 life cycle, if I had to guess. Yeah, especially if this is like going to be the. It's so funny how Ratchet and Clank over God of War and Horizon Zero Dawn is like the series that has to use this new hard drive. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I also think about like, okay, is there now an interest to bring back these other older Sony series? I have to think that probably not. I feel like there was probably a big discussion of like, okay, if we're going to bring one of these back, like which one still like could thrive today, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I, thinking back to those games, like Jack and Daxter kind of, I, I feel like those games kind of lost the plot a little bit where like the first one is yeah. very much like a run around, collect stuff. You're, you're collecting um, like these little orbs uh, and, and I don't know. It just had kind of that Banjo-Kazooie vibe to it that you're, you're referring to. Um, and then the second one was like dystopic future and you get guns and you start shooting people. And then the third one just kind of like tried to be Ratchet and Clank in a weird way. And it, it just like slowly devolved into something that was not even remotely close to why I was interested in it in the first place. Um, <laughs> and Sly Cooper, like to be fair, like just got worse. It just got worse with every yeah. iteration. Like the first one was really tight, really cool. Um, and then the second one, they tried to open it up a little bit more and like, I think that works in some aspects and then didn't in others. And then they made a third one and then I think a fourth one. And I just remember even as a kid being like, I don't think I like these. Um, Right. So I I, I just feel like it's kind of the way at least for a while, Pixar was thinking about sequels, you know, or like the way I think anyone should think about a sequel, which is like only make it if you really have a good story to tell you a really good idea for it. Don't make it just because the last one worked, you know, and and it feels like Ratchet and Clank, which is kind of primed for that. Um, because there are still like dangling plot threads uh, in those games that that you know are are picked up and then ran with in this game. But that said, like I wouldn't be against a new Sly Cooper showing up. I wouldn't be against, like if if they had a cool story to tell and they were like we're getting the band back together, you know, and they were gonna do one last <laughs> job, like that'd be fucking awesome. Like I would love that game. Yeah. Um, I'm just not expecting it. Yeah, and and I and I, I was kind of thinking over like why I think this works and maybe that wouldn't. And again, not to like rule out that possibility. Like I would love to be proven wrong, but I feel like when you look at Sucker Punch and Naughty Dog's like history, Naughty Dog really I think found their voice as a team with Uncharted in terms of like what are they good at yeah. doing and what do they want to prioritize. Not no no disrespect to the early Crash games, <laughs> actually maybe a little, but uh, <laughs> you know Uncharted I think like became what Naughty Dog's focus was. Yeah. You know, Sucker Punch, similar deal with their later games. Whereas Insomniac, I think even though they've had this breakout hit with Spider-Man, or I guess, you know, they're like modern PlayStation, yeah. like, you know, MGM intro Sony Studios thing <laughs> game. Uh, there's still a connection to the past there that mm-hmm. is a little bit more direct. And I think like when you're playing Rift Apart, you can kind of guess that it's the same people who made Spider-Man. There's like enough similarities oh, yeah. there. Like there's sort of a, a creative voice in terms of like, you know, the the way the dialogue flows and the sort of like focus on, you know, just environments. And like, I think also they're very good at matching the environment, matching the mood of the story, like the where you are and what's happening in the world almost always kind mm. of like echoes like how the characters are feeling in some ways or like at yeah. least what's happening. Yeah, I, I think one like really great example of that. Uh, and again, this isn't spoiling too much, but like there's a there, there's one place called Xerxes, which is like this kind of outpost in the middle of nowhere in space. Uh, and all of the scenes that happen there are very much like you feel very alone uh, and you feel I don't know, just kind of like lost without a paddle in a way. And like you are just at like a gas station in space, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and like the only thing you really have to do is to fight in an arena that they have there, which, you know, there's a there's an arena in every Ratchet and Clank game. But that's where it is. And and every story beat that takes place around Xerxes is always like something has gone wrong and you need to go back here to recenter, uh, which I really appreciate. It's really interesting. But yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about it through that lens. But yeah. 
Cool. I think this might be a good time to maybe take a break and go into more narrative discussion. Um, yeah. Cause I think we're, you know, I want more, I have more to say, but I feel like it's going to venture into the side yeah. of things. I think so too. Yeah. Look, uh, here's 30 minutes of us just being like, this game's really great, but uh, it's really great. And I, I hope that <laughs> if you're a person who doesn't have a PS five and you can't play it right now, like I really hope you eventually get to check it out because it's um, just killer. I mean, it is so far and away the best thing I've played on the PS five so far. Uh, yeah. This is like one of the best games I've played recently, which is saying a lot. Cause yeah. I just played every game boy advance game. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's great. And and the good news, the silver lining I think is that like by the time PS fives are more available, I imagine this will be on sale. You know, this will be like, you know, the, yeah. there will be bundles that include this or it will be less than $70. So yeah, maybe it'll be um, part of the PlayStation plus collection or something. If they ever right. decide they want to have a game pass competitor, like th- this will be very available once you get a PS five in 2028, you can play this game very easily. So, <laughs> all right, should we take a break and then uh, come back and talk more specifics? Sounds good. Meet cool. you at Zerkies. Zerkies. Is it Zerkies or Zerkies? I think it's Zerkies. Yeah. Zerkies doesn't make any sense. Let's take a break. Does it make <laughs> less sense than Zerkies does? I guess, I guess it doesn't, but it is harder to say. Zerkies. Yeah. <laughs> That was in an earlier That should draft. be our new like, sign-off. <laughs> See you later, Zerskis. Zerskis. Brendan, are we has-beens? We've been doing the show for four years. <laughs> Three years. Who's the Ratchet and Clank of the two of us? Who's who, do you think? I think you're Ratchet and Clank, and I am the Nefariouses. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> so I just want to say spirit. this game feels very important to me for a number of reasons. But I, I've mentioned before that Ratchet is voiced by the same voice actor who plays Titus in FF10. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Nefarious is voiced by the actor who plays Quark in Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my like quarantine show that has kept me sane. Yeah. Uh, and Femshep is Rivet. I, I, I am referring to the characters over the actors because it's just everything I love combined. Yeah. yeah. Um, no disrespect to the actors, obviously, but uh, th- I just want to point that out. Also captain quirk quirks in the cast. Come on. Mm-hmm. Coincidence. I think not. <laughs> anyway, you want to talk about the story? I would love to. Yeah. Y- you seem like you are like bursting at the seams to talk about the story. So I just kind of <laughs> want to like sit back and let you do that. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I don't know if we're going to like talk through it in like a linear way in, in, in this episode, but I'd love to sort of focus on certain scenes. But I think like just kind of frame the the opening act. Um, the game begins with Ratchet and Clank at a big uh, like parade celebration of them saving the galaxy. There are floats of them and their companions. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's a nice way to kind of like both reintroduce you to the characters and also introduce you to them, you know? Um, So, you know, you go out and uh, I just immediately was endeared to Ratchet being like, kind of almost having imposter syndrome about being a hero yeah, and like, totally. uh, you know, being like, why are we being celebrated? Like we haven't been around since like 2007. What is this? <laughs> and then, you know, Clank is like ratchet. You were my best friend, which warmed my heart. And he gives him the dimensionator, which is a gun that allows you to go to, it opens rifts that lets you go to other dimensions. And he gives that to ratchet so that one day he can find the other Lombaxes. Cause there's apparently a dimension where like they are from. Yeah. And on top of the imposter syndrome of like, 
you know, this celebration, Ratchet's suddenly like, oh, I actually don't know if I want that. Like, that's a lot. It's a really heavy thing, you know? And, and uh, I mean, he voices later in the game. And, and that's sort of like put on ice. Like, he's like, oh, thanks, pal. Like, maybe one day. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. But really, like, even before he he explains it in words later, you know, that that's such a... It's one of those things where it's, like, always kind of been, like, a a dream or a fantasy and the minute it becomes real it's like how what if it's not what i envisioned it to be Mm -hmm. you know like that's such a relatable feeling even though it's such a specific like no one can actually relate to being the last lombax but like the the idea (laughs) of like for yourself (laughs) but but i think that's that's kind of microcosmic of what i think this story does so well is like they're taking these very like kind of uh you know in universe events but delivering them in a way that can be applied to a lot of personal situations Mm -hmm. so that that happens nefarious is tired of losing uh, which i think is also like really really a fun thing for the longtime villain to be going through like kind of alongside everyone else like examining themselves and he's like i'm just so sick of losing like what am i doing wrong yeah i'm gonna steal this gun and we're gonna go to a dimension where i always win yeah i have this i have this like ongoing conversation that i've been having with the uh, i work at marvel entertainment anything i say do does not reflect the views of my employer i have uh, this like ongoing conversation with a bunch of people at work all the time that like i would love to write like a long history of every marvel villain because anytime you like interrogate any of their storylines for too long what you're shown essentially if you if you read it all at once is just like a chronicling of every time this person lost like every villain loses every time eventually because that's how those stories have to go i i remember right before um spider-man far from home came out i I went back and i read through the entire history of mysterio and like everything mysterio had ever done in (laughs) comics and it was like i was crying i was laughing so hard because it's just this like story of a guy who like used to be a special effects dude and then like got fired and then decided to put a fishbowl on his head and like hunt Spider-Man. And he's like, I'm going to make Spider-Man think he's six inches tall. And that's my big evil plan. And like, that doesn't work, obviously. And just time and time again, <laughs> he loses, he loses. he And every, you know, he has this big pageantry about him. Every time he shows up, he'll like stick his hands out and like all this smoke will fill the room because he has a bunch of fog machines in the background. Like Mysterio is like a goof. He's like a big goofball. And, and yeah. I love, I love that this game is essentially taking that idea and running with it as far as you can possibly run with it is like man here on earth every time a story is told the villain has to lose eventually in the end because that's how it always works so i'm i'm gonna create a new dimension or i'm gonna go find a new way to like actually raise the stakes here because like as soon as you start a story and dr nefarious shows up like of course dr nefarious is gonna lose eventually but emperor nefarious Maybe not, because Emperor right. Nefarious always wins. And and as we were talking about, you know, there's there's a dimensional double of every character in the game. And as as you have met these characters over the you know the previous installments of the franchise, you you know about Ratchet and Clank and and Captain Quark and uh, and all these people, and you know like why they're good people essentially. What's interesting about the dimensional opposites in the Emperor Nefarious dimension is like they're still good people for the most part. Like they're all still the good guy there's just something about them there's there's one little 
like character trait about them that prevents them from winning in the face of someone like Emperor Nefarious. Because what Emperor Nefarious is doing isn't too different than what Dr. Nefarious is doing, which I think is interesting. He's he's not always winning in that dimension because he's better at being a Nefarious than Dr. Nefarious is. It's just all the other heroes haven't quite hit that point yet. They all have something holding them back from being on the level of Ratchet and Clank and Captain Quark and, and, and those people, which I think is really an interesting way of going about it. That's a brilliant observation. Yeah, because like you like you said, everyone is it's not like, oh, Ratchet's double is evil. Like Rivet is very much also a hero, but she hasn't met her partner. That's yeah. and that's her kind of big her big arc is that Rivet is a hero that hasn't won yet, but never gives up. But she also like kind of insists on working alone. Yeah. And, you know, she has a mechanical arm that seemingly is like from a mission gone wrong or mm-hmm. something, which is touched on later. That that reveal caught me off guard, uh, which we'll talk about in more detail. But um, I mean, I I immediately really liked Rivet. And I think uh, the reality in which Rivet comes from is very similar to like the future in Samurai Jack where Aku rules the city. Oh, yeah. And, like totally. There's even though like both worlds are still like colorful and cartoony, but there's like there are stakes there that are really intense. You know, like mm-hmm. you are you are still fearful of like what the threats are and you still are like really determined to bring the bad guys down. And I think rivet, you know, seeing how she's kind of suffered, but like continues to press on. just kind of immediately endears you to her. Yeah. And is a really interesting, you know, again, a really interesting reflection of where ratchet is at where like rivet has not had a celebration in her honor and probably wouldn't want one either. Yeah. But like she does need a win real bad. Yeah. Very much. So I, I really, I mean, her character, I think, was a standout. I, I really liked her performance and just like, you know, I mean, the animation in this game is so great that like the facial expressions and like everything about it, like you're immediately kind of endeared to them. And I think what's really great too, someone mentioned this in uh, in the Discord, so I don't want to take full credit for the idea, but I think it's worth saying that like, I'm so glad the story didn't force like a romance on the two of them, oh, you know, yeah. just like yeah, by me default. Too. Like, I think that could have been like, not that like, it would be inherently a bad idea, but I just think it would be very lazy writing and it would be kind of shitty to like force the first like female character in the series to be a love interest just by default. You know, I think it's great that they're just friends and also like they are basically the same person. So it'd also be kind of strange. Yeah. There's kind of, there's kind of a weird vibe there potentially. (laughs) Uh, To to be honest, I could see it happening eventually, but the fact that it didn't happen in this game makes me feel better about it happening later. If it were exactly, it would be, it would be a different story because this game was about, it was about all of, these characters rivet ratchet clank and kit all going through their own personal exactly journey yeah and none of their personal journeys are w- would have been solved by them falling madly in love with somebody else like <laughs> n- you right know, yeah exactly um but a lot of it is about companionship and partnership but you know in, mm-hmm. in a very platonic way yeah and i think what's really fun is that for the early chapters ratchet and clank get separated and rivet is with clank and ratchet is eventually finds kit yeah rivets like relationship with clank is a little bit tense in the beginning because rivet says she doesn't trust robots she's like always fighting like fascist police robots yeah not into robots but clank is like i swear i'm nice scan my brain and she does <laughs> I just love, like, how like you know she I, that's a really fun scene where she's like i trust you but i still have to scan your brain and uh they're kind of like 
slowly growing to trust each other was really great on top of clank's whole like spiritual journey with gary and like yeah close those are really fun that was like i feel like when when a game that isn't about puzzles throws puzzles in it is like very hit and miss you know like just casually introducing puzzles again you look at final fantasy 10 as the perfect example of like (laughs) this is a fucking nightmare (laughs) so to have like a a, a wannabe zelda puzzle in a game that is not doing that anywhere else but i really enjoyed the the clank and later on the kit temples where you have to align your possibilities by using like yeah uh, so different orbs that affect the environment it's basically like um it reminds me a little bit of that puzzle game with the cars i think called like I forgot what it was called, but you had to like move cars around to have the red car escape. Oh yeah. I, I'm, I'm never, I'm not going to be able to think of the name, but it's, <laughs> it's like a classic puzzle. It's existed for, I think actually hundreds of years. Uh, but yeah, I will say that the, uh, the one planet that I, I really, really loved that like, wasn't even like probably my least favorite, like mechanically, but I just loved the Morths so much. The, oh, Sargasso. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sargasso was great. And, and later on when that is being attacked, I was like, so pissed. Yeah. You were, you were texting me about how much you love the Morts, And I was like, Oh my, I don't even think he's hit. He's hit the part where they get attacked yet. Cause like that, that was such an emotionally brutal moment for me was when I showed up. It was like, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't be shooting at the Morts. I I will not allow my heart can't stand this brutal incredible sequence though incredible see you jump on Trudy and you shoot fireballs and like shoot down all the I mean it it plays like the last act of the first Avengers movie in a way where you're like right (laughs) flying around shooting down these like giant alien invading ships that are like (laughs) dropping from a wormhole in the sky it's like unbelievable honestly my my first thought and I'm sure you'll appreciate this my first thought during that whole sequence was this is how I should have felt or how James Cameron wanted me to feel during Avatar, <laughs> like you know, like the like dragons and nature yeah. fighting this like mechanical oppressor. <laughs> but yeah, the Morts were because, and that kind of sums up what I've routinely pointed out with the writing. We're like they're just like goofy like minions from Minnesota, yeah, that like all have like really intense midwestern accents and then like when you like you know when that's all at stake like you really care and then as soon as you win they're like oh, everybody get out the lemonade we're going crazy tonight <laughs> like, that made me like belly laugh it was yeah. so good but anyway i you you mentioned earlier that that kit was the standout to you alongside you know this adventure with rivet and clank because you switch between the two and and um yeah depending on know, what planet you're at right ratchet eventually finds kit who is clank's opposite and she's a little robot that like has kind of hid away with Gary and the monks to kind of like help and she's like really insecure she she's incredibly like you know rivet has her whole trust issues but she's like a very amiable person like mm-hmm. she has friends in the galaxy and she clearly has like a lot of connections with people but kit is like very much like kind of shutting herself off from the rest of the world and um constantly insists that like you shouldn't get to know her because she's dangerous yeah and ratchet's like no i think you're cool come with me you're a little yeah. robot you're probably just like clank yeah and that's actually that's that bit in particular is maybe the most important because uh, some i guess backstory for clank that maybe you don't know is like clank was also a war bot at one point like was essentially defective he, he was like you know they, they made a, a shitload of clanks and they all do exactly the same thing the kit do. i guess we're in spoilers or so whatever but yeah. like they all do the thing the kit does where the kit gets fucking gigantic and is like a horrific 
kind of like killing like machine. Iron giant. Yeah. yeah. Like Clank is also capable of doing stuff like that. Uh, but you know, it was just like defective off the line to like not be a, a murder machine essentially. But every once in a while would have those moments where he'd like slip into it. And that's a whole thing that Ratchet and Clank had to go through. You know, that was like a whole storyline that they had. It's a whole thing that Clank had to go through. I, th- I think what's interesting about the relationship between Ratchet and Kit specifically is like Kit has hid away because she knows that this is a part of herself. Like she knows that this is a thing um, that could come out like literally at any moment. And Ratchet's like, I've seen this before. Like, I know exactly how to deal with this. And just like being present and supportive, not saying specifically like, oh, I had a friend who went through this exact thing and I know, exa-, you know, but just being supportive you know, verbally uh, without being like overbearing about it uh, is the thing that slowly gets Kit to feel more comfortable, you know, and until there's a breaking point, I guess, for Kit uh, where where she has to come to her own conclusions about herself and things like that, which I think is really well done. But I, I just really appreciated that side of the relationship, uh, specifically the ways in which Ratchet chose to support her as, as she's figuring herself out. Yeah, I I, I thought Kit was incredible. I mean, uh, not knowing that backstory, the reveal in which she's like, "I'll save the temple, stand back." Because I, I thought she was gonna like make this heroic sacrifice or like blow up or something, but she just becomes this like giant like Gears of War mech. Yeah, <laughs> just obliterates everything. I was I was like applauding but then she like you know almost hurts ratchet and then like mm-hmm. is like see i warned you and, and she was obviously made as a nefarious war bot and like is ashamed of that part of herself and that's i think that there are a lot of parallels between like that inner struggle and just like you know dealing with a plethora of like one's own mental health and like grappling yeah a side of them that they're ashamed of or trying to process and and the way she talks about herself and the way she like is you know you're so rooting for her to like be comfortable and the moments in which she like kind of gets reset are like heartbreaking yeah you know eventually like as the story progresses and and we're skipping a lot of fun beats i mean like i i think that um every location has like a really fun beat of the story like i loved gary and the monks one of my favorites was there are two planets that involve like hitting a crystal that teleports the planet to a different dimension Mm -hmm. and there's one where it's like almost like an alien in isolation like abandoned underground yeah thing and then the other is like a fully powered base and there's a robot who's like are you my best friend i have another best friend named juice who's always trying to kill me and juice is like this like terrifying monster that you can't even fight you just have to like run or distract it yeah and then you see in the other dimension that juice is like the source of power and you have to like have the juices meet that was such a cool like little story and like every planet is full of those like i think if we wanted to make this episode four hours we could talk about each one of those yeah. things yeah but, the fixer i mean that whole experience oh is just my like- god earth shattering i mean just incredible yeah and you could tell like every every, even if they're not in the center stage every character was given this amount of thought yeah even down to like the the kind of you know secondary and tertiary characters right like right captain quark doesn't appear a whole lot in this game uh, outside of you know his uh emceeing your parade in the beginning but you meet uh what's, what's his name captain quantum in his like uh, doppelganger in the other dimension uh and he's like it's so funny because he's dressed almost exactly the same just like in red you know he's like exactly yeah, the he's same bucket dude. on his head yeah he, he's still he's still <laughs> dressed as a superhero but he like it never occurs to him that he can be a superhero so he becomes a pirate instead <laughs> it's brilliant it's so good it's so funny like 
that whole arc with Captain Quantum was unbelievable. So funny. And watching the two of them meet eventually, like in the finale and Captain Quark being like, you're doing a great job, uh, you know, yeah. a- as Quantum is like trying his best to be a superhero. Uh, loved it. Just so good. Yeah. Incredible. And I, I think, um, you know, and so in terms of like going back to Kit's arc, like eventually like the four meet up and there's also like a lot of, you know, they're nervous about meeting the other, you yeah. know, like I think like they've been paired differently that they got to meet like, oh, OK, like we both know like the other robots, but mm-hmm. we don't really know each other yet. So seeing them meet was like really fun. And then Kit and Rivet had this moment where like, oh, like, well, if Ratchet and Clank are supposed to be partners, maybe we are supposed to be partners. Yeah. And you're really excited. because like, yes, Rivet, you know, is like always working alone, but like needs a partner clearly. Mm-hmm. And Kit needs to like learn to trust other people. And that's I didn't see this coming. I don't know if you called it. I was very surprised by the reveal, but it's quickly revealed like pretty much after they partner up that uh rivet tells kit about this mission where she lost her arm and uh kit realizes that like she's the reason like she was the war bot responsible for that and during that mission and then later on kit has to transform you know for for a reason and rivet makes that connection and it's it's done without explicitly saying it out loud right away which i thought was a really good decision i was really surprised and like that's probably i think the heaviest the story gets you know like in terms of just like That's a really kind of traumatic, clearly traumatic experience for Rivet. She's recovered, obviously, and like embraced her new arm in many ways. But it's still like a part of her she lost. And that the fact that her like destined partner is the one who hurt her is like, you know, it's again, it's like, what if things went differently between Ratchet and Clank? Like there are just a few events that could have happened sooner or later and they would have had the same experience. Yeah, totally. Um, So like. Having Rivet have to process that now, like working with Clank again, trying to save Kit and like the the switching up of characters was just so fun and so well paced. And like you really feel like you had four leads, like as much as like there's sort of the hero and sidekick set up, like there's mm-hmm. four lead characters in this. Yeah, I really appreciated how when Rivet went to go talk to Kit about it and they were like finally going to have the conversation like it does not go well at all, too. No, which I know was that's the thing that really surprised me the most was that it was the moment in which the two of them finally talked i was like oh they're gonna work it out and then become partners and stuff and it was like nah kit kit gets left behind <laughs> essentially that kit, scene was kit's like that, i'm out yeah that scene was really like the oscar moment honestly like <laughs> yeah uh i i was really shocked by it because again like it it does like the while the writing is impressive it is like following the beats that you expect that to happen yeah and and the fact that like rivet's like not ready to to really accept her apology and kit is like i told you all like don't buy trying to be friends with me i'm broken yeah like ah it it made me tear up it was really powerful um and the (laughs) fact i quickly (laughs) belly laughed right after because fucking phantom uh the like (laughs) surfer dude yeah gets them a ride back and they leave kit and ratchet's like where's kit and rivet's like she's not coming back and then there's like just a quick shot of like the awkward (laughs) silence of like rivet driving with like gritted teeth ratchet and clank like quiet and then phantom just like vibing and lounging so hard in the back yeah (laughs) and it's like maybe like a two second shot yeah it's really good it's perfect it's it's really incredible and um you know the finale i I referenced earlier like i i thought the finale was just like jaw dropping Uh, you know a little a little bit of like we don't get a lot of it and i think it's probably for good reason but like dr nefarious you know kind of drunk off the power of this dimension 
eventually meets Emperor Nefarious, who is such a good intro. Like he's, you know, taller, meaner. Yes more regal the like um, the like pipes that make up his robot body are like thicker so he looks more muscular which is so yeah. funny <laughs> he he's like my strange fan referring to dr nefarious yeah. he's like the other hand he's like, my, <laughs> my strange fan as as you know and he's like talking just such a fun villain but also threatening like you're yeah the way he just sort of like wantonly shoots the dimensionaire and just throws people in is like yeah. really terrifying. Yeah. I love, I love, uh, his, his first moment, uh, in the spotlight when you're in the arena and he shows up to just end the arena fight immediately, uh, was like amazing, just incredible. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. I I'm having yeah. such a hard time not just making this whole episode. Like I love this and I love this and I love <laughs> that's, this. That's what it is. That's why we're doing it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the perfect timing because nefarious fight, Dr. Nefarious fights rivet. And Rivet gets her first taste of victory. And then, of course, Emperor shows Emperor up and he's like, shows up, yeah. congrats, your first win. How does it feel? You know, yeah. and of course, <laughs> she can't beat him yet. But what I one of my favorite scenes is like quickly after that, like things get like really bad. It's when like thunder and lightning kits left behind. The dimensions are becoming more and more unstable. Emperor Nefarious announces over the news like I've conquered the galaxy and does a little dance. And then he's like. Ugh, why don't I feel any better? And then Dr. <laughs> Nefarious goes, it's because you're equating happiness with success, <laughs> which is like such like an apt thing to say. And he's like, quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, then of course he decides that to be happy, he has to conquer every dimension. Yeah. Which, you know, of course is villain stuff. But I think just that little scene is actually a great reflection of like, even the villain who always wins is actually still unhappy because there's no meaning to it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh my God. So, you know, then that kicks off for like, he goes to invade the home dimension of Ratchet and Dr. Nefarious and Clank. Yeah. And then all parties, and, and that's actually, you mentioned how all the scenes at Xerxes are like, kind of like you're alone in the universe. But then right before the finale, yeah. like all your allies are there exactly. with you. So like yeah. uh, you're all you're all alone together. Basically, you launch like a last minute offensive. It's a really it's a pretty tough fight. Like it's like, you know, I, I played on normal and like, you know, I it took me a couple of tries in certain instances. It's very dramatic, very high stakes. My friend who was watching it was just like constantly like, what? Like, what yeah. is happening? You know, the, uh, you fight Emperor Nefarious in like a giant mech suit this is a big version of him yeah and he's he's uh, like he's like shooting his limbs through rifts to bring them closer to you like you can see him towering over the city in the background and then he'll like shoot his arm through a rift so it comes up to you but his arm is like full ass building size when it comes through the rift it's like terrifying i, yeah. I love it because one of my favorite moments, and I was trying to not give it away when we were recording the first episode about it, was the whole fixer sequence where you're like grinding on all the rails and the fixer is essentially, uh, again, just kind of like almost like a like a Gundam in a way, you know, yeah. uh, it's just like a big Gundam who's like known for fixing things like a mechanic who is a Gundam. And he's kind of like on the fritz. He's a little bit like he's going haywire and you're grinding on these rails around him. And as, as he's like swinging his arms, and like destroying the rails and stuff. And it, and it goes so far beyond feeling like just kind of a set PC moment and actually feels tense. Um, yeah. Which like very frequently in moments like that in 
even previous Ratchet and Clank games, but like Uncharted and things like that. In in those set PC moments, I'm always like, well, this is exactly what's supposed to happen. Like I I, I kind of feel like one step removed from it in a lot of cases because I I just it it feels a little bit too set PC and it doesn't feel like there are really any stakes. And I know if I like fall off or die or whatever, it's just going to set me back like a couple seconds in the middle of the in the middle of the set piece. The moment with the fixer felt like real for a while. And I was yeah. like, this is like really, really horrifying. <laughs> I need to get out of here. It's an incredible sequence. Um, what I love about the final fight is that it, it's the same scale as that. It's It feels as big as the fixer sequence did, but you are just doing the exact same thing you were doing the whole game. Like, it's not like this is a set piece and you're just grinding around this very large object. This is now the very large object is actually trying to kill you and you literally need to shoot it with all the weapons you've unlocked. Um, yeah. And it rules. And I love the attention to detail where like every weapon works the way it's supposed to. Like I, I was using the, uh, the, the topiary sprinkler a whole lot yes, in that fight. Yes. And like, you know, he would stick his head out of the rift and I would immediately turn it I into had a the big same shrub. experience. Yeah. Uh, I was like, I hope this works on him. And it always did. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool that that stuff worked as well as it did. It's, it's, it's big in the way that like God of the original God of War on the PlayStation two felt big. And it was like, I can't believe that they made this happen somehow, even though, you know, and, and, <laughs> I've been trying I've been trying to think about this because I, I, I keep comparing it in my head to that first boss battle in God of War, which, if you don't know, is just, you know, a gigantic boss battle. It's like one of those sequences in which you are Kratos, a small, like normal sized man fighting a big, you know, Greek god myth, like large object. And it's just like a huge fight. And that felt big on the PlayStation 2. And ever since then, I always think about that fight whenever I fight big stuff in other games. Even like Kingdom Hearts 3. I don't know why that keeps coming up. But like in Kingdom Hearts 3, when you're fighting the Titans in the Hercules level, it's like, oh, this is really big, but it's set PC and it kind of feels like God of War and whatever. Like the things that happen during the last sequence when you're fighting Emperor Nefarious in Rift Apart somehow feel different than all that. Like it feels like the the like end point of what they wanted that God of War fight to feel like. Because at the end of the day, that God of War fight ends with like a, a whole bunch of quick time events, which at the time were new. But, you know, it ends with that. And it's like, OK, well, that's kind of exciting. But like Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart is like you are fighting this thing exactly the same way you fought everything else. It's just going to take a lot longer. It's going to be a lot harder because this thing is gigantic and like does not want to go down. Ugh, it's it's so cool. I, I, I wish I could think of better ways to talk about it. No, no, that was brilliantly said. And I was going to add to that, like, I think the reason it feels so big and so desperate is like at that point in the game, you have three wheels worth of weapons and you have to use all of them like you really like yeah. you will end that fight with like no ammo left yeah. maybe no health left like it really does feel like to, to defeat this guy we have to have everyone with us and i have to use everything i have mm -hmm. uh you know mr fungi you're with me i have I'm eight mr fungi everywhere <laughs> uh uh, topiary sprinkler like it's just like you're always and i think my friend who was with me is a big fan of, of the recent doom games and there's weirdly i think some dna there as well and oh that, yeah like, the weapon I, switching uh, the weapon switching and like i think the thing about i didn't play much of doom eternal or doom 2016 but what i loved about my time with it is that like you had to constantly be moving you had to constantly yeah. be you know it's almost the opposite of like the cover base shooting norms that were kind of dominant for a while where like it is this sort of like high adrenaline 
I've got, I only have so much ammo, so I have to be smart about what I use. And I have to think about what weapon I'm using against different enemies. And it really is like a more cartoony version of that, especially in the arenas where you have to like, you know, dash and use a rift and everything. Um, uh, yeah. But yeah, the, the bosses I always thought were especially fun because I think that like this game has the potential of like, you know, there's so much going on and the weapons are so goofy that could it could all feel kind of like empty, kind of like Kingdom Hearts 3 does where like yeah. you're just mashing buttons and suddenly summoning Disney rides. I'm like, I don't really know what this is doing. <laughs> like Topiary Sprinkler, I know exactly what that weapon will accomplish, even though it's like turning everyone into shrubbery. Yeah. Like, every weapon has like a very distinct role to play and when you are left with like oh shit i used all my ammo i only have like doom bots left or whatever the glove of doom like that's yeah. not gonna help me at all you had to be strategic about it i imagine even more so on higher difficulties but yeah it was it was an incredible battle and i i really think that like this game just never stopped being fun i think you can also attribute that to the pacing um you yeah. know I, I think to like every boss up until emperor nefarious is just sort of like a big robot or like a big you know a dinosaur or something that like they're yeah, fun. If, yeah if there's one but, if there's like one criticism i could levy against this game it's like i actually don't think they needed to reuse as many bosses as they did like very frequently they throw the same robot at you or the same dinosaur or like a skeleton version of that dinosaur and that just like didn't it just didn't need to happen it's like oh i'm fighting a grunthor again okay you know like it's always fun to fight a grunthor but i, I didn't need it you know and like it, it kind of, it kind of um, demystifies a little bit of the game in a way, uh, like in, in the very beginning of the game. And I could I, I know this because I played through it like three or four times now because I, I started <laughs> New Game Plus like three or four times um, and, and I'm finally like settled in the difficulty I wanted in the settings. I wanted. Anyway, I, I'm not going to get into it. But in, in that opening bit, when you're like going through all the rifts, like that big set piece where like you, you first get the Dimensionator and you're like going through everything. It's like you hop into Sargasso and you hop into um, the, the like pirate level and you hop into all these different levels that you will eventually visit later and it just feels like this moment that like maybe could have been like just go like nuts with it like just if, if there's gonna be a thing for like five seconds like just show me something that like will never show up again for five seconds you know uh replaying the game and going through that bit is like oh so the dimensionator's just showing me this other dimension but different planets in that dimension is a little bit of like a demystification situation and yeah. i felt the same way about those bosses showing up like multiple times especially when the highs of this game are things like the ember nefarious fight you know or the fixer level you know fight fighting a grunthor four times on sargasso to get all the serp stones was like eh maybe maybe i didn't need that you know um and that's like maybe yeah. the one criticism i could levy against this game my my only other criticism is that i wish we got to play as kit because i feel like so you know the big moment in this finale is yeah kit shows up and she's like you're right i'm done hiding and takes on the army so cool yeah uh I'm like actually tearing up, but it's like so predictable, but it's so cool when it happens. Yeah, you know, like you're that's like, the thing. It was it was predictable. The the second Kit decided that she wasn't going to show up, right? As soon as yeah. she's like, I'm out. I don't want to be part of this mission. Nobody can be my friend, whatever. Um, It's immediately like, okay, she's going to show up, save the day, deus ex machina situation. But the way that plays out in game is you are fighting Emperor Nefarious outside of his, you know, gigantic robot thing. And it's just you and him. And he's using the Dimensionator to pull in what's left of his army from all the different dimensions in which he has armies. Uh, and they're all, you know, flowing through these rifts as you're just trying to focus down Nefarious and Kit will show up 
and just like wipe out all the dudes that he's yeah. bringing in. And like that, that idea of like, Kit's not coming to save the day to like kill Emperor Nefarious for you. Kit's coming to like literally just deal with the ads, which is like such a, like it's like a Destiny 2 thing. It's like I'm doing a raid in Destiny 2 and Emperor <laughs> Nefarious is the boss. It's like, OK, Kit's on ads. I'm going to focus down the boss. Um, yeah, I loved it. I lo- like what a great way of doing that, where it's totally. like having someone yeah. that quote unquote overpowered on your team, like doesn't mean that you're just going to win. It just helps your odds a little bit. I just I really I, and it works that she's like helping you as you fight Nefarious. I just wanted like a brief moment where I got to play as Kit like in her yeah. giant form like blasting away armies. There are moments in other Ratchet and Clank games where you get to play as Clank like that and it's awesome and I also thought that that was going to happen in this game I was yeah. surprised it didn't. But but a small compromise. Sequel. Which, <laughs> sequel? I mean that's act- honestly like I think a riveting Kit like starring them specifically is yeah. like would be really fun. I think so too. Yeah. But anyway, the when at the end of the fight, when full Titanfall 2, Kit just throws Rivet at <laughs> yeah. Nefarious and she hits him in the face with a hammer. Oh, my God. And then my favorite scene in the game. This is like if I had to. Uh, there's so many good scenes, but this one like had me screaming because I, I was like, I called it. I'm like, I feel like Dr. Nefarious is going to get just a little bit, a yeah. little bit of a victory. <laughs> and, you know, the armies are gone. He's there's no one left who is willing to help Emperor Nefarious in any dimension. Mm-hmm. He's alone in the universe. And uh, he's hanging on a cliff and uh, uh, they ring the bell and the Kraken, you know, is pulling him down. And he's like, you know, desperate grabbing on the cliff. And then Dr. Nefarious weasels up and he's like, help me. We can we can win this universe back together. And then Dr. Nefarious goes, what do you know about winning? And then just steps on his hand. I scream. Uh. But what's great is like he gets this moment and you're happy for him because he's so pathetic that you can't help but like him, even though he's evil. Yeah. Uh, and he has this <laughs> moment where he's like, OK, I'm, I'm going to say no to this, like kind of the bad part of myself. And then immediately after that, he like falls and something falls on top of him and no one cares. Yeah. Like, it's just like, like, of course, like it would be so cheesy if they're like, you know, doc, you're not that bad. Like, of course he would just like get crushed in the background and no one pay attention. Yeah. They're all just yeah, when, he get, when he gets crushed, there's like other dialogue happening. There's like another scene <laughs> happening. He literally gets crushed in the background of a different scene right after that. And no one calls attention to it. Ugh. Yeah, that's the perfect. It's the perfect acceptance of his role is like he's not going to ever. He says no to actually being a villain. But then the universe is still like, hey, man, this is still your fault. Like crush. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought that was incredible. And then, I mean, you know, it's such a heartfelt finale with like they then, you know, in in the city that was having this sort of like kind of phony celebration for Ratchet and Clank, just like out of memory of them. Now that they've actually saved the universe together, there are five fireworks of rivet kit ratchet and clank and then kit goes is that us uh perfect yeah it's it's the perfect game uh i i had such a such a great time playing it i i want to revisit it i mean it really does i feel like um you know if sony's first party stuff is going for like a cinematic vibe this truly did feel the most cinematic even in the games that are like you know higher fidelity and going for realism like this just felt the most like a movie where i just like was in and out i got like a very concise story yeah and i will replay it the same way i would rewatch a movie and uh i just i just was so endeared to the characters and, and again i i think this is a very hard thing to do it's like 
similar to character design, like the simpler character design is, you know, that took like years of development of Mm -hmm. like really figuring out like, if we're only using three circles for this character's head, how are we going to do this? Like, what's the best way to do that? And I just think that's like a lot of what this game is, is like sort of like the perfection of simplicity in a lot of ways. Yeah. As extravagant as like the weapons are and as like the environments are like the core heart of it is very straightforward. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's just like an achievement. It's like a stunning achievement. Um, the same way Spider-Man and Miles Morales were also stunning achievements. Absolutely. Insomniac is just like on a completely different level at the moment. It's, it's great. I mean, as evidenced by the fact that I'm already playing it again and I'm like almost halfway (laughs) through my second playthrough. Um, I have one other big complaint. Do you mind if I voice it? Yeah, sure. My other big complaint is that in the end credits, there's a literal musical number. Oh my God. Yeah. Emperor (laughs) Nefarious and Dr. Nefarious. So I'm pissed for two reasons because it's incredible. It's so good. They've got a duet. One is like, why didn't we see that? I would, I would pay money to see that on stage. I was wondering as I was listening to it, if it was a thing that was supposed to be in the game and got cut for some reason. That makes sense. And they were like, it's too good. We can't just throw it away. (laughs) It has to be in the credits or something. Well, because then my immediate second thought was, why wasn't this whole thing a musical? Because like that would have (laughs) maybe made me ascend reality. Because this is like everything about this screams musical theater in a good way. Yeah. Um, (gasps) Imagine. It takes two. I thought one was enough. It's not true. It takes two of us. Anyway, I loved it, man. I mean, this episode's going to be short and sweet, I think, because we've recorded roughly 40 hours of content in the past week and a half. But I also think, like, that's kind of inspirited the game. You know, I don't know if, like, even if we had, like, had a regular week where we had more time and energy for this one, like, I think we would have still ended it early. Cause like, yeah, I think so there's too. really not much more to say. I mean, I just think it's a great time and I am excited for the day when more people can play it. Yeah, me too. So that gets through graphics, <laughs> fun factor, <laughs> sound. What's left? Oh, cool. What do you rate it out of cool? Honestly, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I would say it's at least I would also say pretty cool. So it's a, uh, I, I think it's a buy it now. <laughs> Not a rent it. Yes, it's definitely not a rent. It's a buy. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my only question is if if there's inevitably going to be a sequel, because the the ending thing is like Ratchet kind of tells Rivet, like, I think I'm, you know, do you guys want to come with us to you want to make a pit stop on the way home? And like, where to? And he's like, I think, you know, which yeah. obviously means they're going to go to the Lombaxes. Yeah. What would you want to see from a sequel now that like that door is kind of open? Dude, like straight up, just more of the same. <laughs> Like for for real, like I don't need anything really that different than what I'm already seeing. You know, that's the thing. And I I think because it's such a short game, like they literally can keep the same weapons and just tell a different story and I'd be in, you know, I wonder and and I'm I'm just curious if it's going to be a situation like Miles Morales where there's going to be like a kind of shorter thing, you know, like if the next thing Mm. is like kind of like a $40 like side story, it's like we're going to go meet all the Lombaxes, you know, and like maybe set up for something else eventually. Um, Yeah. I think that'd be really interesting. Um, you know, if that allows them to make a pseudo sequel sooner, I'd feel very good about that. I also wonder if there's a play, cause I know they once had like a cooperative multiplayer game version of it. I just wonder if there's like a, yeah, like a local co-op ratchet clank rivet and kit game like oh, that'd somewhere be so cool. in the cards. Yeah. Wouldn't that be fun. That'd yeah. be really fun. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Um, they could add that like they do with Ghost of Tsushima where they just like add a multiplayer mode at some point. Yeah. Why not? 
Yeah, I, I, I'll be interested to see if there's any kind of like DLC or something for this game. I, I wouldn't yeah. be too shocked if that ended up happening. I, I, I meant to mention that it's, it's good that we're saving it for the end. You haven't gotten all the spy bots yet, right? Not yet. No, I, I pretty like I did every optional quest except for the treasure hunt and the Lombax lore. Mm. And the Lombax I, lore and I, is real good. Yeah, I, 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 I just uh, because the episode was coming up, I was like, let me just you know go through it. Yeah, and I kept my save before. Um, the final mission. So, do you mind if I spoil what the spy bots unlock for you? It's the rhino, right? The the weapon. Yeah. Okay, so so the, I, the, I've been told like what it. I don't know what it is though. Zircon just told me the name of it. Okay, uh, so the so. rhino's been in every game. It's like the last weapon you unlock in every game. It's usually locked behind something like spy bots, like some kind of like collectible. Where when you get all of them, you eventually get the rhino. Can I tell you what it does in this game? Because it's real cool. Yeah. So so in this game, what happens when you use the rhino is uh, it essentially is like the dimensionator in a way. So you shoot in the sky and it opens a wormhole like above an enemy that'll like drop something down from a different dimension onto them to like just crush them or whatever. And when you level it up, it starts dropping things from other old PS2 franchises or like oh other Sony God. franchises. So like Sly Cooper's uh, uh, like van uh, will drop out of the sky and he'll like jump out and like do a little like Sly Cooper pose or Jack and Daxter pop out at one point. Um, the the Jeep from Uncharted, A Lost Legacy and Uncharted 4 kind of like drops out of the sky. Just stuff like that. It's just like a bunch That's of like so fun. nods to old uh, stuff, including, and this is what reminded me that Insomniac made Sunset Overdrive, but there's a Sunset Overdrive thing that shows up also, which is great. Really cool. I, I, I love that they did that. But That's also, so you know, seeing Sly Cooper on the PS5, but not in a PS5, new Sly Cooper game. Oof, it hurts. <laughs> you might know me from my work from the 90s and my brief cameo that was locked behind a secret yeah. weapon. It's it's like a uh, BoJack Horseman, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, I, I'm anyway. just about out of steam, if I'm being honest. So I, I think I think it's time to wrap up if you're OK with that. I'm totally fine with that. But this is fun to do. Hey, yeah. uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you like the show, you know, the drill into the cast online is our hub for everything. Um, if you're back in the Patreon, thank you so much. Uh, as we've said in recent episodes, we're doing monthly patron only episodes now. Please continue to share all feedback and uh, ideas for that, because I think we're still working out like what we want to do month by month. I think it will just be different every month, um, but we're very open to feedback because it's a very new venture for us. Um, and as always, if backing the Patreon puts you in any financial strain, please do not. But by doing so, you're really allowing the show to grow. And, and we like are blown away by the recent rise in support there. It's it's taken us both by surprise pleasantly. Um, so just thank you so much. And just like in general, like, I think we've gotten so much support in the past week or so. It's nice that... Uh, you know, we, we all worked really hard recently, like uh, us and AJ, like all put a lot of time into the show, like more than usual in the past couple of weeks. So I'm glad that that's all been received well. And I'm really excited to get back into the normal groove for season four. Yeah, it's exciting. It's an exciting time. And I'm excited to see what season four has to bring. My voice is like gone. Wow. I like it. It's kind of cool. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a great day. Have a good day, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.